to find ways that will keep people safe in in the very immediate situation where harm is being done but we also want to take it a step further and figure out how we can stop the violence from occurring in the first place and that means really revitalizing our traditional cultures and way of teaching which has been lost Hello and welcome to Voices of Sikha Kwan. In this episode, Kari Peterson talks with Deborah O'Gara about the relevance of May 5th, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Day, about tribal justice systems and her hopes for the future. And just to note, this conversation contains discussions of violence that may be difficult for some listeners. As I mentioned at the top, today we have a conversation with Deborah O'Gara, and Deborah is the Senior Policy Specialist for the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center, where she does policy intervention on federal, state, and local fronts, focusing on laws and policies concerning domestic violence and sexual assault for Alaska Natives. And Deborah's worked in law for more than 30 years as a prosecutor, a lawyer, and a judge. And she currently resides here in Petersburg and is completing a PhD in Indigenous Studies. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Deborah. And can you please introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Deborah O'Gara. I am, uh, my clinket name is Dejuk Suk, and I am um, currently residing in Petersburg. Okay. So May 5th is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Day. Can you tell us what that is and why the day is necessary? So over the last, well, almost 250 years, indigenous women here in Alaska primarily have been subjected to violence and have either gone missing or have been murdered. And those incidences can happen from their intimate partners or family members or complete strangers. It, it originated during colonialism in the col first colonial days before the state even became a state. And um, it has continued to um, increase due to lack of laws and protection and policies that um, didn't see the value of, of women or indigenous people um, that needed to be protected. Okay. And it's a fairly new phenomenon in that we didn't have violence to this magnitude that was outside of war or, or disputes, territorial disputes. Um, so it's, it's still fairly a new thing but it's um, disproportionately affecting indigenous women of Alaska throughout the state. So Okay. And so I just wanted to put this in perspective with a little, some numbers that were very astounding to me. I was looking at some of the websites. I, um, mm -hmm. 
I was looking at the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center um, website. These numbers are from February of 2022. Alaska has the highest per capita rate of um, missing and murdered Indigenous women. And Alaska's number is 288. And the number two slot is Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And their number is 88. Mm -hmm. There's a huge difference. Right. And this isn't just a problem in Alaska. It's a problem in Canada and the lower 48. It's a mm -hmm. problem, as you say, left over from colonialism that came with colonialism. Mm -hmm. But again, I just have to say those numbers. And they're from this year. Right. 288 missing and murdered Alaskan women right. and girls. Well, that's documented numbers. Um, just like domestic violence and sexual assault is often underreported, the numbers of missing and murdered Indigenous people is also underreported because the statistics, the forms that get filled out when somebody goes missing or when somebody is murdered um, are not uniformly filled out. So though we put out that number 288 this year that we know of, I emphasize that we know of, yeah. that we have statistical confirmation of. If um, we started going through and, and talking to people in our Native communities, I think the number would be much higher. How is this relevant to Petersburg? Well, just like in, in any community, um, there's domestic violence and sexual assault. There's, um, in the community, as much as we don't want to admit it, it's, it's there in all of our communities. So, unfortunately, wherever there is domestic violence, there is... Um, Victims, not just the person who's been hit or, or injured or is at risk of being injured, but anybody who witnesses it, um, and especially children. And I think what the relevance there is is um, our children learn from what they see, and if they see somebody going, committing violence, that is, um, and that person is not being held accountable for that behavior, then our children grow up believing that that's normal or okay or just the way things should be dealt with rather than in a nonviolent, uh, more healing or constructive manner. So it affects, it's not just a Petersburg issue, it's a universal humanity issue. Yes. This missing and murdered indigenous women and girls are so closely intertwined with the issues of domestic violence and sexual assault. And you had talked about um, the new law, the federal law that allows tribe tribal courts to hold non-native and native perpetrators accountable for domestic violence. 
What's the name of that law? So that's the Violence Against Women Act Reauthorization 2022. Okay. So it just passed just a little over a month ago. And VAWA actually was first passed way back in. It's gone through a few um, reauthorizations. But this one, this new one has a couple of things that that are really good. But the most important one that affects Alaska is it, it allows Alaska tribes, tribal courts, the authority to prosecute um, individuals who commit crimes of domestic violence and who um, also harm um, law enforcement officers who are responding to domestic violence. So it's the, it's, and VAWA is the domestic violence law, federal okay. law. So um, in the past, until this act happened, um, Alaska tribes um, first didn't have the resources to do that and um, could only, if they had the resources, could only prosecute um, tribal um, citizens. This allows, gives the authority to the tribe, tribal courts to prosecute non-tribal citizens who have committed domestic violence in that tribe's community. Wow, that's a huge deal. Now, the, the significance of that is 40% of our communities are in rural communities Villages. where there is no law enforcement or very little law enforcement. and Or law enforcement is an hour away or two hours away or a couple of days away, depending on weather. So what would happen is um, individuals who commit domestic violence, the state justice system was the only system that could hold that person accountable, hold them accountable for their violent behavior. And the state system is really slow. And usually the, the two primary ways to hold somebody accountable in the state criminal system is jail time or, and or probation. So having our tribal communities have the ability to hold perpetrators accountable for their behavior is a big issue because it could mean the tribes choose jail and probation following the state court system, or it could also mean putting into place some kind of rehabilitation and um, treatment. Because yeah. what happens is violence is often a learned behavior. So how do you unlearn that behavior? How do you how do you um, figure out how to um, be in um, better control of your impulses and your violent tendencies. You need some rehabilitation. You need some treatment of some kind. So the state doesn't have the resources to do that. I think the tribes, because the number of cases will be smaller, can do that um, and um, can do it quicker, again, because the smaller number of cases. Um, it's not the entire state caseload. It's that community's yeah. caseload or if um, neighboring tribes um, cooperate together in a in a um, consortium of sorts then um, then they can 
um, share resources. Now, the nice thing is, is that, because I've already told, I've already said our tribal communities don't have a lot of resources and don't have the ability to raise income, but this VAWA um, reauthorization 2022 does have um, funding that can be um, applied for and and given to the um, to the tribal courts directly to, to the tribes directly yeah. to the tribes, and this is a and that's and this new. is between the federal government and the tribal government. It, it runs parallel with the state. Yeah, it's we don't have to go through the state to get to access to that. Now, the significance of it this to Alaska is really um, also important because in 2013 when VAWA was reauthorized back then this ability to prosecute and hold non-tribal citizens accountable for their behavior on reservations was allowed in 2013 for the lower 48 tribes and Alaska was left out. This year Alaska has been included specifically Okay. And it was specifically added with a provision that was um, uh, written by and introduced and championed by Senator Lisa Mikowski. Wow. So why I mentioned that um, for the last um, eight years, nine years, this ability to increase the accountability of non-tribal citizens on reservations has been done by the lower 48 tribes we can learn from their experiences and actually implement it much faster. So that was a long explanation of the <laughs> of the Alaska Travel Courts, but we have um, we in this state are really on um, at a crossroads as far as the opportunity to develop our travel courts, or as I call them, travel justice systems, because I think our courts aren't going to look like the Western, and they don't necessarily need to look like the Western-style court. They don't, yes. You don't need to have a, a bench that's higher up with somebody, with a judge in a black robe, and yeah. everybody sitting at tables. It could be everybody sitting at a conference table or in a circle, or um, it could be a panel, or it could be your tribal mm -hmm. council. And the tribes could decide to just do children's cases or to just do child welfare cases or to just do domestic violence or to just do um, divorces and, and child custody or all of those. Or to do just juvenile cases. There are tribes that are focusing just on um, as, as a way of addressing domestic violence, they're just, and drugs and alcohol, they're just focusing on the youth. Yeah. Let's teach them more coping mechanisms and um, positive behaviors that aren't reliant on substances and on violence um, from a young age. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Voices of Seat Kukwan, and in this episode, Kari Peterson talks with Deborah O'Gara, about the relevance of May 5th, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Day, about tribal justice systems, and about her hopes for the future. If you or someone you know has experienced violence or abuse, you can call WAVE, Working Against Violence for Everyone, 
at 907-772-9283 or the Strong Hearts Native Helpline at 1-844-762-8483. And back to our conversation with Deborah O'Gara. I know you're working on a PhD. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about your research and what you're doing? Because I know this all kind of ties in. Here. Sure. Sure. So the um, so the two or three sentence synopsis is I'm going to do be doing research on Klinka dispute resolution practices before Western contact. And my my goal is to um, discover or infer based on mostly literature review, um, looking at old journals, looking at stories, looking at songs, so looking at journals of explorers and missionaries and the first folks who came to Alaska, um, my hope is to is to be able to pull out of the sources, the journals from missionaries, explorers, the Russians, and as well as the oral histories, which for Clinkets have actually been written down or are recorded and have been translated, um, <clears throat> songs, stories, um, and even um, some of our um, what I call living documents, our artwork, our totems, our masks, our um, chill cap blankets, all contain stories or or um, memorializing certain events. So I'm gonna look at all of those and um, be able to um, say what were some of the practices that were integrated into um, society and into knowledge that everybody had. And it's not gonna be, I'm not gonna come out of it at the other end with this set of rules or laws because that's not that's not what mm-hmm. we did back um, before contact. But my purpose of doing that is because I wanna know what were some of the practices that were in place before contact and is there any way of bringing those forward into the developing tribal courts that are emerging today? And then a secondary question is not just the tribal justice systems benefiting from this research, but is there anything that could also be compatible with the state court systems? Okay, yeah. I'm not advocating that we go back no, but... 500 years and do things the way we used to do it because that's impractical and that's yeah. just... Uh, and I mean that wouldn't work. We are we live in the society we live in right now, and so what did we used to do that is going to be compatible with where we're at right now? And some of it is already in place. I mean, yeah. there are um, there are whole communities, and um, even our universities are jumping on this as well and helping. And that is learning languages, learning um, that. Traditional indigenous knowledge has a place in our world today yeah. is important. And again, not in such a way as to go back 500 years, 
but to say this is what we this is what we know from what we used to know and then bringing it forward to today and how can we apply those that way of knowing or that way of teaching or that way of of understanding the world to the um, really complex problems that we have today yeah. and it's being it's being ap- you know applied to climate change to engineering to um, uh, plant agriculture to um, building how to architecture and building houses um, and so in a way what I'm looking at is doing a little small bit for um, of the justice system um, in the same way just trying to bring forward what we how we used to understand the world to today and what can what can we revitalize yes and I I do before we end I want to back up and just kind of bring this around to um, when we were talking, one of the things that I was thinking about was I was reading on the, on the Alaska native women's resource center last night. And I was in some slide presentation and it talked about reasons why women in domestic violence situations would not want to leave or get out. Mm -hmm. And, um, they were all about survival, you know, for them and their children. Right. You know, about losing the main financial provider or subsistence, hunting, fishing, you know. There was also a wonderful video of a, an elderly gentleman from up north talking about the role, like we spend so much time teaching our girls and women about how to respond in these mm-hmm. um violent situations and really there's another component that really needs to be addressed and that's addressing the boys Mm -hmm. and you made a really good point about it it doesn't just happen to girls right there are this does happen to boys too yeah and that's why we're we're expanding our our um Sometimes our vocabulary or the way we, the, how we describe the issue of what we're working on. And you'll see, I mean, just going from missing and murdered indigenous women, which is how that, how, which is how it started, to now um, realizing that the violence occurs to women and girls and to our LGBT relatives. And it affects, it affects the entire community. Um, we want to we want to find ways that will keep people safe in in the very immediate situation where harm is being done but we also want to take it a step further and figure out how we can stop the violence from occurring in the first place and that means really revitalizing our traditional cultures and way of teaching which has been lost they, that's a learned behavior. You know, we're not born violent. Yeah. People learn how to do that. Or they learn that that's the acceptable way of resolving their frustrations or their anger or their problems um, is to commit violence or harm other people. And often it's their loved ones. So we want to um, deal with the immediate, let's create safety in our communities 
But in order to do that, we have to address the other part of that equation. And to do that, we have to um, find ways of, of showing and teaching people how to be healthy. Healthy in your mind, in your heart, and in your culture. So this is really tough work. Um, dealing with this day in and day out. So what inspires you to do it? Well, it's sort of the same philosophy I take with almost any, any new project that I go into, and that is always leaving, leaving whatever I'm going into in a better condition than, um, than I found. doesn't have to be perfect, just a little bit better. I don't try to think um, that my contributions or my efforts are going to change the entire system and make the world perfect. But I get my strength from just working with the folks that I work with um, each and every day. And we all come with different strengths, abilities, um, experience, and, and just working together. And I think it's one area that, that gives me strength to, to do that. And, and, I've, and I always also just make sure every week I have set aside some hours to do something creative. Yeah, something fun. Whether it's painting or drawing or weaving or making a basket or doing something. I do something that is, is um, artistic or creative. Yes. And can you tell me, you, you have told me this before, but I want to hear again because um, it's so beautiful, the world that you want to live in. Oh, yeah, thanks for that um, reminder. So, and this goes back to the to the work that I do and that many others do, but I really want to live in a world um, where our, our children are not taught how to respond when violence visits their life. Um, and I say when because it's inevitable, unfortunately, right now. Um, it's not an if, it's a when. And we for generations have had to teach our children, our children, our nieces, our nephews, our grandchildren, um, how to respond, who to stay away from, um, who, whose house not to go to, whose lap not to sit in. We've had to teach them all that. I want to live in a world where we actually teach our children how to be compassionate, respectful, and value each other. And with that, we can live in a, in a world without violence. Thank you, Deborah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. If you or someone you know has experienced violence or abuse, you can call WAVE, Working Against Violence for Everyone, at 907-772-9283 or the Strong Hearts Native Helpline at 1-844-762-8483. Thanks for joining us for Voices of Sika Kwan. Voices of Sika Kwan is recorded and produced on Hlinket Ani, the historical homeland of the Hlinket people, but also the current homeland and the land that holds their future. Thank you for joining us for Voices of Sika Kwan. This show is a collaboration between the Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, 
and the Petersburg Public Library. It is made possible in part by a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services and the Alaska State Libraries, Archives, and Museums. It is also made possible by the generosity of our participants, including the volunteers on our content committee. We thank them for their enthusiasm and dedication. To participate in Voices of Sitkaquan, contact Kari Peterson at the Petersburg Public Library. Archives of past shows can also be found at sitkavoices.org. That's S-E-E-T-K-A voices.org. As well as on Spotify and Apple Media. Gunakchish. Hey, 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 hey.